so we're going to now uh, pivot uh, closer here to home. Uh, there's been, uh, of course, a lot of protests up at Columbia uh, University and other college campuses here in the city uh, since uh, this conflict ignited on, in October. And students at Columbia who are opposed to the war and opposed to what Israel are doing has, have faced a lot of repression uh, from the campus administration, from outside right-wing uh, forces, um, and others. And uh, and one of the most shocking incidents uh, so far, uh, students were holding a protest on the quad in the middle of the Columbia campus on January 19th. Uh, and as um, Claudia Villalona, a, a student and a reporter up at uh, Columbia, she has an article that's um, that we're publishing on independent.org that really details what uh, followed. Uh, it, just for starters, uh, one of the student protesters named Catherine noticed a very uh, foul smell, uh, something uh, like uh, having a dog poop on your shoes but not knowing where that smell is coming from. And she was later overwhelmed by that smell when she got home. Uh, and she and a number of others ended up in the hospital with all sorts of terrible uh, aftermath uh, from that uh, incident. And, and uh, Claudia, welcome to WBAI Radio and the Independent News Hour to tell us more about what's been happening up there since since that fateful day. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so after the attack, Columbia has been, they had a very callous initial reaction, um, seemingly painting the protesters and um, kind of blaming them for what had happened. And following um, an Intercept article that um, detailed what happened on Monday, they kind of backtracked from that um, statement stating that they were launching an investigation and they were um, going to see what had happened. But um, really a lot of student activists and victims have been angered and um, just really feel a lack of support and see the university as complicit for um, both what had happened and in the aftermath, not getting enough support or guidance um, medically, psychologically. Um, no one from the administration, for example, has reached out to Catherine, um, who had been hospitalized twice since the attack. So it's really just a lot of anger on campus. Right. And just to right, follow, follow up here, can you just describe uh, some of the symptoms that these students uh, experience? I mean, this is far, uh, and, and what this chemical was that was used against them. Uh, I mean, this is far more than, I mean, I've been tear gassed at a few protests and, and this is far more than just kind of having your eyes uh, burn for a little while before you, you wash it out with some water. Um so, yeah, if you can explain what the the, the chemical was and, and just the incredible impact it had on people. Yeah, so the chemical used is uh, an Israeli manufactured chemical weapon called skunk spray. And um, it's used often in um, the Israeli occupied West Bank as a method of crowd control to disperse um, protests. And um, it it's not really published, published what it's made with. So it's kind of um, 
uh, a mystery, but it does have pretty um, intense symptoms for those directly in the um, vicinity of the spray. So Catherine, for example, had witnessed and smelled it and seen its use uh, in the past, but she never had been the direct um, target of the spray. So she had more um, debilitating symptoms such as um, uh difficulty breathing um, and uh, fatigue, just migraines, and then later nausea, vomiting, um, dehydration from the vomiting. So um, a lot of other um, uh, protesters have uh, more mild symptoms, such as uh, eye irritation and um, rashes, but it really... It had a, a delay onset for the most part, so a few days after, but um, it was uh, pretty uh, widespread. And and you said that Catherine's worst symptoms lasted for two weeks, right? Yeah, two weeks for um, from what she had told me, it seemed that um, after two weeks they had gotten better, but that she still felt lingering symptoms of fatigue and um, headaches and things like that. Wow. So, um, Claudia, you, you wrote this article really breaking down the context of the action and its aftermath. So explain kind of in somewhat detail how the protest went down. What did people think of these students while it was going on? Um, you know, the alleged attackers, it was reported that they were uh, calling people self-hating Jews. So obviously like harassing openly, but also wearing kefirs to sort of blend in. So how does that yeah, so at the protest there, um, it was a protest to divest. That was their um, central demand. But um, there was two individuals that had seemed to be um, kind of um, not really fitting in. And um, they started harassing uh, the students that were holding a banner that said, um, see you Jews for um, ceasefire. And they called them self-hating Jews, traitors, and things like that. They were harassing other protesters. And um, as this was going on, um, then the the uh, attack happened. And it really took just eyewitness testimony. All of the um, organizers and protesters came together and kind of shouldered the responsibility of investigating the attack and finding, you know, collecting uh, evidence from both witnesses and footage that was taken to identify what who they believe are the perpetrators. Um, and that that's basically what happened at the protest, but um, the repercussions of it are, are pretty um, intense and the students are still feeling it. So. And, 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 and the student uh, activists there, they believe that the, there were two people that deployed the skunk spray and that these are uh, students from Israel who would have previously served in the Israeli military. Is that correct? I mean, there's a whole program that brings students over from Israel to Colombia. Right. Colombia does have a, um, a partnership with um, different uh, academic institutions in, in Israel and uh, a mentorship program for former um, IOF soldiers. So um, they are believed to be former um, Israeli uh, military soldiers, and they um, 
there many students um went back many ios soldiers went back to serve but it seems that it, it's also very alarming that this weapon is not available to civilians this is only available to israeli military personnel and uh the police departments it sells the weapon to so it it calls into question how they re- how they obtained this um spray right and then speak a little bit more about uh columbia's reaction <clears throat> and the general hostile environment that pro-Palestinian protesters are finding there and others? Well, a lot of the um, victims and student organizers that I spoke to really just see this as the most recent example of um, the university's failure to support and protect students who are engaged in um, pro-Palestine advocacy. for one, in the aftermath of uh, the attack, there has been uh, no arrests made, and um, a, the medical staff at Columbia Health wasn't notified until, I think, a week after of what had happened. So a lot of the people who went to Columbia Health were, um, you know, they the staff didn't know how to help them. Um, I believe one of the students uh, that has been hospitalized has had to set up a GoFundMe page to pay off their medical bills. Um, And even though no arrests have been made, uh, two weeks after uh, the uh, attack, there was a protest in solidarity with um, within our lifetime um, outside of Columbia's gates and at least 20 protests were made. At least one of them was a Columbia student. And it was, you know, it's amid this, uh, the NYPD's uh, escalation and use of force and aggression against um, pro-Palestine's protesters. And what Catherine um, pointed out to me that was really, you know, interesting is that how can um, student groups and um, activists trust uh, this investigation when um, the NYP receives uh, training from the Israeli military and one of the partnerships that they have with police departments around the country. So, and also in light of this like increased escalation of um, uh, aggression towards student protesters. So I think really they wanted to emphasize that this doesn't happen in a void and that they see this uh, attack as, as they see the university as complicit. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we have to go here in a moment, but I also just can't help but think when we think about sort of this state of exception that exists at Columbia and many other campuses now where pro-Palestinian uh, voices don't have the same rights as everybody else. They're subject to more violence, more harassment. Um, this is kind of how apartheid works uh, in the West Bank or anywhere else, there's two sets of standards, uh, depending on which group you're in. If you're in the dominant group, you get one set of standards. And if you're in the uh, repressed group, you get other standards and laws and treatment. And so we're basically in a in sort of a micro way replicating the, uh, what Palestinians experience on the West Bank uh, here at Columbia University. Now, obviously not as severe as there, but the, the, the mindset and the injustice and the double standard uh, practice is exactly the same. 
Right. And I think it's also important to note that um, it's it adds insult to injury. I mean, many students have lost family and friends or actively fear for the safety of their loved ones. And they feel like the administration's lacks of support, repression of their advocacy and right to free speech and um, not taking their uh, reports of harassment and discrimination in the past seriously just adds an extra burden and right. um yeah so it's yeah. a hot climate well uh claudia Villalona, um we thank you for joining us this evening on the independent news hour and we will have your very uh detailed and thorough uh coverage of this whole episode up on this evening. Uh, independent.org uh, uh, later tonight or tomorrow morning we're putting the finishing touches on getting that ready um but thank you so much for all the coverage you've done of this uh very important story to follow up on. Great. Thank you for having me.